I promise. I promise. Who comes to mind when you hear those words? Think about that just for a moment. When you hear the word, I promise, who in your life comes to mind? What situations in your life come to mind? What sort of people do you see in your mind's eye when you hear the word, I promise? Folks who have always been there for you, folks who have been faithful to you all through life. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe you grew up in a home where you had parents, and when they, when they said something, that, that was the way it was. When they told you they were going to do something, that was what was going to happen. Maybe it's your house. From day one, I promise they have always fulfilled what they said they were going to do. Maybe when you hear the words, I promise, it's not the face of someone who's faithful that comes to mind. Maybe in your life you grew up in a home where you couldn't trust your parents. You didn't know what was going to happen from one day to the next. Maybe even in your life right now, there are situations that sort of overwhelm those words. You can't even think about anyone fulfilling promises in your life. Maybe... In your mind, it's those who have betrayed you that come to mind. But I guarantee you, when you hear the two words, I promise, there's not a blank space in your mind. Those words are filled with people. Those words are filled with situations. It's not an abstract thought in Most of our our minds, in most of our minds, there is a face that comes to mind when you hear, I promise. And if we are real today, those who come to mind when we hear, I promise, those situations, those faces, those circumstances, when we hear those words, say much about how we think about God. Do we trust him? Do we know him? Maybe he's the one that comes to mind. When we get to these two chapters here, Balaam is learning what it means for God to say, I promise. Last week, we looked at chapter 22, and we saw Balaam interacting with God in this huge way. God was saying to him, you're not God, and when you act like God, you look like a donkey. Now, some of you keep wanting me to say something different there. I told my daughter I was actually going to say that word, and she said, you can't say that in church. But when you try to play God against pagan kings, when you try to act like God yourself, you wind up looking like a stubborn donkey. When we get to chapters 23 and 24, we we basically see a re four times of what happened on Mount Sinai with Israel, where they come and they encounter the presence and person of God as that mountain quaked, as it shook, and there was lightning, and there was thunder, and there was smoke, and the presence of God came down, and Moses met with God and delivered to him his word, a promise. We see in these two chapters this reenactment over and over with Balaam as he stands before this pagan king we talked about last week, Balak. Balak, who is fearful of Israel. 
He looks over his kingdom and he sees Israel marching through the wilderness and they're conquering kings and kingdoms. And he realizes his kingdom is next. And he calls in Balaam, this sort of witch doctor, to curse Israel, to stop what Israel is doing. And we begin to see as Balaam encounters the Lord God, there is a transformation that happens. First of all, in these chapters, Balaam sees a people of promise. In the first seven verses here, him and Balaam, uh, Balak begin to encounter one another. And Balak says, let's go to a mountain and, and let's set up this, these seven burnt offerings. And we remember in context of numbers that the burnt offering represented the presence of God. This is how Israel in the tabernacle, they walked into the tabernacle and there was the burnt offering and that allowed them access to God. And here Balaam is going to set up these burnt offerings on this mountain, which reminds us, which tells us he is looking for the presence of God. He says, possibly, perhaps God will come down and tell me what to say to you. And he tells Balak, you stand beside the burnt offering. And Balaam meets with God and notice verse seven, the words that God has given Balaam. It says he takes up his discourse and he says, from Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. And he said to me, come, curse Jacob for me. Come and denounce Israel for me. And he says, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? And we see here, Balaam has learned there is no neutrality. There's no way to stay in the middle between God and his people, between God and pagan kings. He says, how in the world can I curse those whom God has not cursed, denounce those whom the Lord hasn't denounced? Verse 9, from the top of the crags I see him, from the top of this mountain, from the hills I behold Israel. And notice his description. Behold, look, a people dwelling alone. And not counting itself among the nations. There's no cities. There's no skyline when he looks out that represents Israel. Just a group of tents. A, a group of, uh, of nobodies out in the wilderness who cannot call themselves a nation. But notice verse 10. Who can count the dust of Israel? This nation that's not a nation, and yet I stand here and I cannot count them among the nations, and yet their number is so great you can't count them, or a number of the fourth part of Israel. You can't even take this nation and segment them. Remember, we talked about the first, probably about two million people out in the wilderness. You can't even count a fourth of them. And he says, let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like this. If it means to curse Israel, I would die. Because as I look out and I see this number, I see this mass of humanity, I see their tents, I see their tabernacles, I realize they may be a people without a name, without an inheritance, alone in the wilderness, but they still have the promise of God. And their story is one where I promise is fulfilled time and time again. Notice verse 11. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? This is not why I hired you. I didn't bring you in to talk all these grand glorious talks about Israel. 
I didn't bring you in to talk about how blessed they are. I brought you in to curse them. And he says, you have done nothing but bless them. The only th- you haven't even spoken a bad word about them. It's not all pretty. It's not all rosy. But all you're talking about is how great they are and how great their God is. We get to verses 13 and following, and basically Balak says, let's try this again. Let's go to another mountain. Let's go to another place. Maybe, maybe this vision of Israel is a little intimidating for you. Let's go to another mountain. Let's set up some more offerings. Let's do this little thing you're doing with the lambs and the bulls and, and all of that, uh, the rams and the bulls. Let's do that again. Let's set up another burnt offering, whatever you're doing over there, and maybe God will give you a different word. And Balaam says, okay. We'll do it again, and I will go and meet with God. And as we see, each time on the top of these mountains where sacrifices are set up, Balaam's confidence in the Lord grows. At first, he says, maybe God will meet us there. And and then on the next mountain, before the second oracle begins, he says, I'm going to meet with God. I know God is going to give me a word. And notice the word he gets beginning in verse 18. He says, rise, Balak. And here, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he not said, and will he not do it, or has he spoken and will not fulfill it? Basically, he says, Balak, men make promises all the time, and yet they don't always have the power and authority to fulfill them. And we know how that is. We tell people, we tell our kids, we tell others, I promise I'll do it. And sometimes life just doesn't allow that. And Balaam says, God's not that way. (laughs) He's God. He created everything. He's not a man. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. He has the power. He has the authority to make it happen. He is king. He says, behold, verse 20, I received a command to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. Do you think I'm going to be able to stand before the Lord God Almighty and change his mind about something he promised? Who in the world are you, Balak? You think you're going to change the course of human history? You're going to think you're going to change what God has said he would do? I received a command. There's no way to change what God He said he would do. Verse 21 he has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. He's working for their good, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord God is with them. And notice this, and the shout of a king is among them. Isn't that a glorious thought? Looks out on this tent city. He says, they don't have a king, but the shout of a king is among them. The promise of a king is among them. You see them marching on their enemies? They don't have a king leading them. They have Moses who can hardly talk. And yet he's standing before pagan kings and they're wiping them out. They don't have some sort of general leading them in the battle. But they have the shout of a king among them. They have the promise of God among them. So when you look upon them and you see no name, you see no inheritance, what you see is a people with a promise. And that's enough. Because they have the promise of God. 
Look around this room this morning. Not many kings, not many rulers, not many powerful, not many prestigious. You look upon a people who are a nation that's not a nation, that's counted, that can't be counted. In Israel, through Israel, God has blessed a people called the church through Jesus Christ, and they have the shout of a king among them. You look at the church and you see a people who can't gather themselves together and say, this is who we are. We are this nation. We are this kingdom. We are this force in the world. We don't do that. But we have the promise of a king and we have the picture in the book of Revelation of a number of a group of people who can't be counted. And we have the promise of one who says the gates of hell will not prevail against her. You know what that means? Death won't stop the church. And so you look among a people who are, who are nobodies and in much of the world right now you see the church and they don't look blessed. They look cursed. They're poor. They don't have a lot of power. We look around this room at a bunch of nobodies to, just to be honest. And yet the king of glory says the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We are dying. And yet death will not be the end of our story. Why? We have the shout of a king among us. And he says here, how do I know that God's going to fulfill his promise to Israel? Notice verse 22. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox. Isn't that a beautiful picture for you men? The women are like, whoa. God brought them out of Egypt. Why would he not fulfill what he said? He destroyed Pharaoh for them. And when I stand back and look on that picture, I see a wild bull that has gored his enemies to death. That's the picture Balaam sees. He says, I'm not messing with God. He is a wild ox who is destroying the enemies of Israel throughout the wilderness. Isn't that a glorious picture of who God is for you? Notice he continues. For there is no enchantment against Israel, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Here's the deal. When you look upon this people, the question isn't, can I come up with some potion? Can I come up with some divination? Can I come up with some sorcery or some word or some philosophy to oppose them? No, the issue is what has God said? Because he's for those people. He is goring their enemies to death. He's for them. There's no question about it. About it. Remember the Exodus, verse 24. Behold, a people as a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself and does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Well, you look upon that people, and they look like just a tent city encampment, a bunch of rednecks out in the wilderness and campers. Oh, that is a wild ox who is destroying. Anyone who stands in their way. Why? Because God has promised. They are like a lion that has been asleep and is now awake and is chasing its enemies in the wilderness. And they will not stop until they are drinking the blood of their enemies. I love this. Some of you women are like, whoa, I think I heard my baby crying. 
I need to go check on them. But the picture is violent. This is who God is for his people. Why would you oppose him? He, he delivered them. In the, you want to know if God's going to fulfill his promise? He's destroying all their enemies. Look, he's got a track record. He's got a win-loss record. And he wins every time. Remember the exodus. Remember Pharaoh's army. And the same thing for you today. This wild ox, this lion, is one that was nailed to a cross for you. And yet that wasn't the end of the story. He got up out of the grave and says, you will lay down in your coffin one day and yet you will get out of your grave. How do you know it's true? Because of the gospel. How do you know God will fulfill his promises to you? Because he crushed his son on a cross for you. He raised him up for the dead. When you hear God making you promises that he wants good for you, that he loves you, that he will fulfill his purposes in you, no matter what you face, you don't doubt it because you have a bloody cross and an empty tomb that says he is a wild ox that has gored Satan, sin, and death for you. And you trust him. And you don't oppose him. And you don't oppose his people. That's the point. Balaam says, I can't oppose these people. God is for them. There is no doubt about it. And when we look at God's mission in the world, I wonder if we think that way. I wonder if we evaluate our lives like Balaam and says, what is God doing in the world? Well, he's for Israel. I'm not opposing them. And then in our own lives, we say, what's God doing in the world right now? Well, he's building his church among the nations. Why would I oppose her? (laughs) Why would I not get in on that mission? That's an undefeatable, unstoppable mission. And we gather here today and we look around and we see it. We see what God is doing. And yet so often when we look at the mission of God in the world, it clashes with our mission. We say, oh, I see what God is doing around the world, but that's going to take money away from my bank account. That's going to take time away from my family. That's going to take resources away from my kingdom. And yet when we read the Bible and we get to the book of Ephesians, what Jesus about the church is the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know what he says there? The mission of God in the world is incomplete until the church gathers before Jesus at the end. If that's, that's God's mission in the world. Not just in Richmond, but to the ends of the earth. And if that's God's mission in the world, how does it line up with your mission? How are you giving? How are you pouring your family into those resources? I hear a lot of pastors constantly whine and complain about how the church hurts their family. How the church takes dad out of home. How the church gets in the way. And you know what normally is going on there? And I'm a pastor, so I can rebuke pastors. What's going on there is you have separated your mission from your family's mission. And one of the things Danae and I did early on, and she's a pastor's daughters. We said, no, we're in this together. That's why you show up at things and you see these little kids running around, pouring out tea and serving meals and doing all that. Because when we show up, it's not just for us. We're serving together. We are a mission team as a family. 
I wonder the way you think about your family. I wonder, does the church intrude on your mission for your family? Because here's the deal. You redeem everything God has blessed you with when you pour it into that mission. You don't separate it. You don't pull away from it. You say, God has blessed me with money. He's blessed me with resources. He's blessed me with time. He's blessed me with all of these energies. I don't pull away from what God is doing in the world. I pour all of it into the church, and there's the joy of having it redeemed in the mission of God in the world. To the extent you are pulling those things away, you are at odds with what God is doing in the world. And it's going to lead to disappointment. Because of that money that you invest in your mission, your mission will come to an end. All of those things will come to an end except what he says here, what God has promised to his people. God is a lion and he will finish the task. Balak says, whoa, 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 verse 25. Don't curse them at all and don't bless them at all. Stop talking. Stop talking. I brought you over here to curse these people. And all you're talking about is how God is for them. God's so great to them. God's going to do everything he says. Stop it. Stop it. He literally claps his hands. Stop it. Just shut your mouth and don't say anything. Don't curse them or don't bless them. Let's go back to this neutral state. You remember when we came to your house and you were, you, you know, you were, you were negotiating with me and God and my people and God's people. Let's go back to that. Let's, let's, let's don't get ahead of ourselves here. Stop cursing them and stop blessing them. And Balaam answered, did I tell you? All the Lord says I must do. There's no neutrality here. And he says, Balak said to him, okay, okay, let's go to another place. The first place, the second place didn't do the job. Let's go to another place. Let's go to the top of this other mountain that overlooks the desert. And you're going to see how depleted these people are. You're going to see how weary they are in the desert. Build your, build your offering. Do all of that. Verse 24, verse 1, when Balak saw it, that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. Notice he did not go at other times to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. Do you see the growth in Balaam? He hears the promise of God. He sees the promise of God. There's this transformation that is happening in his life. He's not going to his omens. He's not going to his pagan rituals. He goes to the Lord. And then all of a sudden he has this vision that we read earlier. His eyes are open before the Lord. And he begins to describe, verse 5, how lovely the tents of Jacob are, the encampments of Israel, like palm trees, like gardens, like aloe, like cedars. God is flourishing them. God is feeding them. God is giving them water, and they are growing into this kingdom. So he, doesn't, he goes straight to the word of God, and what does he see as he sees Israel through the word of God? He sees this lovely nation bunch of tents, but what does he see? Palm trees growing in the wilderness. Hey, I'm going to take you to the wilderness, to the desert. And what does he see? Palm trees, water. He sees a nation flourishing that he even describes here as a cedar, a group of cedars that can't be mowed down, that can't be trotted over the same way they are trotting over other nations. And I just have to repeat this. Verse 8, he talks about the ox and the lion again. Oh, this lion, 
you see this beautiful nation, bunch of tents, beautiful nation that God is growing. And again, he is like an ox. He is like a lion. As we read earlier, he's going to break their enemy's bones. He's going to pierce them through with his arrows. This nation is lying in wait. Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. There is no neutrality with Israel. We see this growth with Balaam. And he continues, verse 10, Balak's anger is kindled again against Balak and he strikes his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, flee to your own place. Go back home. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. Whose fault is this? Remember Balaam in the beginning said, it's God's fault that I can't go. And now Balak says, yeah, and God is holding you back from honor. Look at this name. Look at all this power that I could give you. Look at all the riches I could give you. God is holding you back from these things. Verse 13, Balak said, he said, I told you. When you were at my, if he would give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad or my own will. What the Lord speaks, I will speak. And now behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the days ahead. Balak says, shut up. I told you I was going to give you honor. And Balaam says, I've seen the Lord. I don't need your honor. I'm going back to my people, and I know you didn't ask me to talk again, but I'm going to talk some more. And I'm going to talk about the Lord God. Notice he takes up this final oracle and discourse. This is a prophetic word, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man. Notice he says here, whose eyes is opened, whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the word of God. And notice this, what has taken place and knows the knowledge of the most high, who sees the vision of the almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Notice, I see him now. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Notice this transformation that's taking place in this prophet. Neutrality, saving my own kingdom, and now, okay, we'll see what God says. Well, God has said this. I'm not opposing him. God's going to do what he said. Okay, I've seen the Lord. And now notice the way he describes his interaction with the Lord. I know him. I know him. And therefore, I'm not going to oppose him. This I promise of God has become an I promise to Balaam. What God has said he would do for Israel, now Balaam has latched to it. He is connected to it. And he says, I am going to do what the Lord says, even if the Lord withholds me from honor. Now we know another one who was taken up on a mountain. Matthew chapter 4, by another Balak, who says, look on this kingdom. If you will bow down, Satan said to Jesus, and worship me, I will give it all to you. And what did Jesus say? You are only to worship the Lord your God. And he walked away a carpenter's son. And he walked away 
with a ragtag group of disciples who the Bible says had no place to lay their head. He walked away and was labeled a drunkard and a glutton. He walked away and was a nobody who eventually stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him what authority he came on. And he says, listen, I wouldn't even be standing here if I didn't want to be standing here. We see the same thing going on with Balaam here. The promise of God is becoming real to him. And it's true. God may hold you back from honor. You got to get used to that reality. God may hold this promise called the gospel that you believe, this coming kingdom may mean you have a little less honor here and now. And by the way, if the world's giving you too much honor, you probably should be a little bit skeptical. You probably should ask the question, who are you really following? Because what did Jesus tell us? The world hated me. Actually, the world took me and crucified me and killed me and hung me up on a cross. Therefore, the world's going to hate you if you follow me. Balaam is realizing this. Balaam is standing before this pagan king and he says, I don't need your honor. I don't need the honor that this world can give me. I have the promise of God working for me. And it's the same thing we do on a daily basis. Paul says, not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were prestigious. Not many of you had a lot of gifts and abilities. You're a bunch of nobodies. But you had the promise of God called the gospel. And God promises when you trust him, he is going to take you from justification to glorification. He's going to take you to to maybe a poor, pitiful life of just loving Jesus and serving him in the face of difficulty to a glorious kingdom a million years from now where the echoes and shouts of this king continue to reverberate. If you latch your life to the kingdom of Christ, you can't lose. You can't. And you feel that presence every time you make that decision. You feel God transforming you into a son. I wonder if you're here today and you look back even six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, and you say the promise of God is becoming sweeter and sweeter to me. The gospel is becoming sweeter and sweeter to me. I don't need what this world has to offer. Just give me Jesus. And you say that and you sing that and you feel that in the gut of who you are. You know what that is? That's the gospel becoming real life. We don't gather here just to talk about some abstract thing, just to have fun on a Sunday, just to enjoy this whole thing. We gather here to be transformed, to be conformed into the image of one who stared Satan in the face and says, I don't need your honor. And we do it over and over and over again. And the gospel becomes, I promise, it becomes a reality to us. And notice verse 16. The oracle of him who hears the word of God. And now verse 17, I see him, but now I behold him, but not near. I see this promise, but it's nowhere near. (laughs) Do you see how that doesn't make sense? I've heard the promise. I know the promise. I see it, but it's yet to happen. Notice continues, a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. This I promise becomes a person. The shout of a king becomes a king in flesh and blood, described as a scepter. 
And notice, it will crush the forehead of Moab. Listen, you try to protect your kids from violence, you're not going to be able to read the Bible with them. He's describing Jesus as one who will take a rod and crush the enemies of God. Do you realize that? I mean, this is Lord of the Rings type stuff. Narnia is a little more kid-oriented. This is Lord of the Rings gory stuff. I know I just offended a lot of people with that. He shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. This nation we went around, we will take all their stuff eventually. Seir also, his enemy, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing it valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion. There will be a king that comes out of this nation that will rule all other nations and destroy the survivors of the cities. There will be no one left when this king comes. Everyone will stand before him. And he begins to, to describe all of their kingdoms around. He says, Balak, it's not just you. It's not just you, Balak. I know you're, you, you think the world revolves around you. No. Hold on. Come over here and look on the side of this mountain. There's Edom. There's the Amalekites. There's all these other nations. There will come a king from that ragtag group of camp, city, people that will rule all other nations, even you. You might as well bow to what God has said now. And we get down to verse 25, and Balaam rose and went his, to his place, and Balak went to his place. So there's no repentance. There's no walking an aisle here. It seems as though Balak is going to stay put in his kingdom and oppose the Israelites. But we are left with this promise of a scepter of a king who will rule for us. And that's what we all want. We, we watch superhero movies. Some of us guys like five-year-olds. Oh, this is awesome. The new Batman, the new Spider-Man, the amazing whatever. Why are we so engaged with that? Some of us are still five-year-olds. Now, we realize there's a hero, and it's not me, who has to come in and save the day. We realize there's something better coming. And there is this longing in our heart for one who will save the day and rule and reign. And here, the I promise has become a person. And we've seen that person in flesh and blood, and he didn't wear a cape. No, he was hung on a cross. But he will come back on a white horse with a scepter and a rod to rule the world. And I wonder if you're opposing him here today. You see, he's come and he's displayed who he is in more than uh, uh, just words. Because he is the word of God. Who in flesh said the kingdom of God is at hand. Who in his face, Paul says, we've seen the glory of God in Christ. God's I promise has taken on flesh for you. And I wonder if you've latched to his kingdom. I wonder as Balaam says, I'm not cursing Israel. I wonder if you're here today and you said, I'm blessing Israel. By following the true Israel who is Jesus Christ. Even if it means I die for him. Are you following Jesus? You see, a lot of us come in here today and this I promise is just an abstract thing. 
This I promise, we we think about pictures and faces and we think about who it is. Ultimately, if your I promise is not Jesus, all promises will fail for you. God's promise to you is yes and amen in the person of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you've blessed him. I wonder if you've trusted in him. I wonder if you're following after him because that's the only way this world makes sense. A lot of us come in here today and it's sort of, you know, this whole Christianity thing is sort of like the iTunes acceptance button. How many of you read the terms and conditions before you click yes? How many of you read the terms and can you just, I've done this, what, 900 times now? Click, I agree. You don't read any. Hey, I want in on this iTunes thing. Some of you come in here today, I want in on the Christianity thing. Click. That's not the way it works. This is a person you bow down and you walk with. And he changes the way you see everything. The promise changed the way Balaam saw everything. I wonder if the way you're looking at the world is constantly changing. Are you trying to make sense out of it with your checkbook? You're trying to make sense out of it with your own idea, with your own worldview. It only will make sense if you are walking with Jesus. And notice I said walking. It's not just A, B, C, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, I'm in. No, you're walking with a person. Jesus, the scepter, is a person. Flesh and blood, cross, resurrection. You see, the reality is most of us come in here today and I promise is not perfect. Those people that came to your mind, we think back to the good old days and yeah, they, they were great. They were wonderful, but they weren't perfect. They probably failed you every now and then. And if you look in the mirror, the I promises you make are not perfect. There was only one who was perfect. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death for you, and he is God's promise that is unshakable for you. Do you believe that? You know, we can have vision giving. We can have retrain day. We can have all kinds of things around here. But if we don't believe God loves us in Jesus Christ, let's shut the doors. I mean, look at me. Do you believe God loves you in Jesus Christ. Do you believe I promise is eternal, eternal, unshakable? It will not change because of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Or is this just a game? Just a button you click. I really believe if we will begin to live like God loves us despite our sin, despite our history, despite our background, this church will transform, this city will transform, and the world will transform. But you got to get that right. You're not showing up here today trying to make God love you. He said he loved you in Christ if you believe in him. And he knew you were going to be high maintenance. He knew it. I say that a lot because I'm high maintenance. I have to remind myself, God knew I was going to do that. He knew I was going to be an idiot. He knew I was going to be a moron. He knew I was going to mess this up. And yet, he crushed his son. He raised him from the dead. He knew it. And if he did those things, he's still for me. And when the bills come in, and when the checkbook isn't balanced, do do you sit back and say, I wonder if God loves me? He crushed his son for you. He got up out of the ground for you. 
Don't doubt as you sit in traffic that God loves you. Don't doubt that as you sit before the doctor and the diagnosis is terminal that God loves you. His son was crushed for you. This kingdom is yours. It's I promise that will not be taken away because of Jesus Christ. If you believe that with all of your might, your life will change. This church will change. Do you believe it? Is it about Jesus? God loves you. He is for you.